Welcome back to the Geopolitical Pickle. Today, we're joined by published author and geopolitical analyst Milos Danjevic and executive producer of the Geopolitical Pickle, Alex Perry, as we attempt to discuss this difficult topic. So over to you, Wanfri. You can tell us exactly what we'll be talking about today. Thank you very much, Ronan. How are you guys doing? How are you, Milos? Great. Uh, as always, glad to be here. Wonderful. How are you, Alex? Yes, good as well. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you guys for coming. How are you, Ronan? You recently Fantastic. published some... Uh, you're everywhere right now. Hey, uh, you can find me online. Okay. But I think, I think, <laughs> we should, I think we should do just one episode on what, how Ronan is succeeding in life. <laughs> Uh, okay, well, as uh, you rightly mentioned, today we're going to be discussing a really tricky topic. Uh, we hope to not harm any sensitivities with it, uh, but it is a sensitive topic. It's unrecognized states. Uh, there are many states around the world that, are, that don't have full recognition of the every other state. In the end, as some uh, thinkers have put it, becoming a state is being in the Champions League of International Relations. And it's a condition that many entities aspire to have because it allows you to enter in certain relations with other states. It allows you to have certain things that we will discuss about. We would like to start talking about what are the conditions that make some political entity a state. And these are more or less established in the Montevideo Convention of 1933. They are having a permanent population, having defined borders, having a government, and having the capacity to enter into relations with other states. These are really basic conditions for, for any political entity to become a state. However, as we will talk about, there's many entities that have these qualities. However, they are not recognized states. On the other side, there are entities that don't have these qualities, and they are recognized as a state. And for example, they are members of the UN. And so let's have a little bit of a talk about it. Milos, could you please explain us a little bit uh, what is the difference between having internal sovereignty and, and external sovereignty? Uh, yes, uh, like you said, these all conditions for recognition, we can divide into two big major groups. First is uh, the internal sovereignty. There, of course, first you start with uh, well-defined borders. Then again, you need to have permanent population. And also you need to have institutions or some other means to control that population and to have functioning economy and all that. So that would be like foundation for any state to have like your internal stuff under control. And after that, you can go and seek for the external sovereignty or in other words, to be recognized by the other states with uh, whom you can uh, enter like law binding agreements and in just in general to keep relations with other states. Importantly to know, uh, only states, for example, can be members or usually only states can be members of international organizations, for example. Mm -hmm. Actually, only, only states can be members. Other organizations or other institutions it can be international organizations or they can be a um, cooperation of companies or whatever. It can be observers or it can have a voice, but not a vote. For instance, the UN is probably the most prestigious of tables for states to sit at and also the most exclusive we've only seen one country actually go into the un in the last two decades which was south sudan and so that is like the epitome for statehood for for if a country is seeking recognition they want to a seat at the table at the un so there's 193 recognized states at the un and then there's a lot of other countries that might have recognition at various in various degrees but without that seat at the table of the un they'd to, like it often lacks legitimacy as an international player, I think. Yeah, I think this is why there are some people that argue maybe like the recognition isn't so important. If you have your internal affairs in order, like Taiwan, for example, obviously, like they have relations with other states and things like this. But at the end of the day, they're still lacking some things that other states get. And it's more difficult for them sometimes to participate because they don't have that full external recognition. For example, entering international treaties, it is a problem because if you're not recognized as, an, as a state, you cannot enter, for example, in the Treaty of Non-Proliferation. You cannot, unless you're considered it. Any UN-designated mm -hmm. treaty, exactly. exactly. You, you cannot be a signatory to... You can exactly. say, we adopt it, but you can't yeah, actually yeah, no, sign a document. Adopt, exactly, but that, you are not in the signer. Like, exactly. I was yeah. so up in the signature and be like, hey, <laughs> I signed it. You cannot do it. 
Okay, then uh, precisely with what you talked, Alex, it's about the importance that we give to that international recognition. So uh, there are two main theoretical frameworks, well, theories, that uh, more than theories is um, there comes two concepts, there's two ways of understanding this international recognition. We can have the declarative, declarative theory and the constitutive theory. The declarative theory says that and it's supported by international relations scholars, having international recognition is an adding. It's not necessary. In the end, as you were mentioning, uh, guys, if you have full control of your territory, if you fulfill this, uh, this Montevideo Convention, but you don't have the external uh, recognition, well, you fulfilled it, you can work. And for example, we will mention Somaliland. Somaliland is a pretty stable state and at least compared yeah. with its surroundings, but it's got no international recognition whatsoever. But it's full, it, it fulfills the Montevideo Convention. Yeah, so, which I said, those countries would be called de facto states that have everything like a state, just they're missing the international recognition. Exactly. And that's why I would yeah. debate any of these. The, the international scholars that say that this is the most important thing is just having these state-like functions I think it's the opposite. I think the most important thing is actually just having the external recognition, which... Which is part of the constitutive uh, theory. Exactly. The constitutive theory says that you have to be recognized by your peers as one of the people at the table, basically, in the club of statehood. And as you said, Somaliland is a good example of a declarative state. It's got functioning institutions. It's got very clearly defined territory. It's got much better control over its territory than its parent state, Somalia. Um, however, it does not have the international recognition, so it doesn't have a seat at the table. Whereas Somalia has that seat. Even though it's just Mogadishu. Exactly. Yeah. And and the government has no control over most of the territory. They've had problems with Al-Shabaab since the last 40 years. Uh, we see like Black Hawk Down, that was based in the 90s, where America was fighting it on behalf of the government in Somalia. And that, that conflict's still going on now, that Al-Shabaab still controls vast areas of the territory. So Somalia doesn't actually even fulfill most of the criteria for statehood. The only criteria that they categorically fulfill is that they're recognized as a country by everybody else. And so that, in my opinion, that by far is the most important because no matter what, they still have a seat at the UN. No matter what, they still are able to in, uh, negotiate to have the US come in and and support the government and do these things, which they won't, which other countries won't necessarily do with countries that are not recognized as states. Okay, then let's dive a little bit uh, onto that. Why does Somalia, for example, have a recognition and Somaliland doesn't? Because there's several conditions for states to be recognized internationally, for example, or to seek independence. Uh, we know that, for example, a genocide happening against your population is a good position to start for trying to get independence. Uh, being basically bullied in a violent way, in a physical way, in an economic way or whatever, it's a good way to start a movement of independence where you can try and get uh, international support. But that's not uh, definitive. Palestine is an observer state of the UN, even though statistically, the Israeli government has been taking over land progressively of uh, of technically agreed in 1967 uh, Palestinian territory. So this doesn't really fit. Like when you want to put a theory, it doesn't really fit in the theory. What is the most important part then for becoming independent for you? I was going to say Palestine's kind of complicated as well because now it doesn't even have a defined boundary because the boundaries are changed. Sure, yes. And the boundaries were only agreed in some forum, but since then they've changed multiple times. It's very mm -hmm. difficult mm -hmm. to say, okay, this has got to defined territory. But for me, the most important thing is that external recognition. As we said, the last time that a country was recognized by enough members to be uh, ascended to the UN Council, because in my opinion, that's the pinnacle of recognition. If you can go a seat at the UN, then you are officially, officially a state. state. Everybody could agree. Exactly. The, the country with the most uh, recognition, recognition that's not meeting the threshold, I think is two thirds at the UN is Kosovo right now. Yeah, but they even never had two-thirds. They, they never had, 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 had the percent At the peak, they had 50%. Exactly. Now they are a little below 50%. But you need to get to that two-thirds, 66%, yes. to be able to get recognition. Yes. And unless you reach that point, 
And but even then, I think if somebody from uh, uh, Security Council puts it, I think still maybe we'll not be able to enter it. Although I'm not sure about yeah. this. So, but it is like I said. You mentioned what is the best way. I would say the best way is to have strong allies that will diplomatically fight for your cause. In order to do that, you can convince him in many ways. Like I said, if you have been uh, discriminated against, or if there have been civil war, or if you have some different ethnicity than your current state, all those things helps. But like in case with Somaliland, even if you have perfect control over your territory and you didn't entertain or make enough other states interested in your cause, obviously you will not be able to f get your recognition. I would like to hear your opinion, Alex, but I want to put to make a point on Somaliland first. And it is interesting to see that Somaliland hasn't actually looked for that much of recognition. We see states with much less control over their territory, uh, with uh, worse conditions, seeking for that international recognition as a primary thing, whereas Somaliland, like most of our listeners, will be like, what is Somaliland? Where Somaliland is uh, located in the northwest part of Somalia, and it's administered independently from the country. I just wanted to... to that's like the only yeah, stable part within Somalia. And that's a good point by explaining. You see, like, most of people have heard for Somalia, but for Somaliland, not enough, so... You don't... Somaliland doesn't even represent the Olympics, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is another thing, like... Where you get the opportunity to see. Where Taiwan, for example, is as Chinese Taipei. Mm. Yeah, I was just gonna also add that I think timing plays a big part into it because when like decolonization was happening, you know, there was like a big push for all these states to come about. And now there's almost like the reverse where the international community is really hesitant to allow you in. And so like even if you have a really, really good case, they don't really want to add that many more seats to the table. But in other environments, they were like much more willing. For example, it is true that during the, the, the biggest enlargement of, of statehood in the world or like states in the world is after uh, World War II, uh, where they're supposed, and this is where I wanted to get before, where they're supposed from the two superpowers for these countries to be independent. Because the USSR and the USA may have nothing in common, but they have one thing in common, and is that they wanted the colonies out. They wanted all the European countries to 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 liberate their to free their their colonies, and so they became independent states. That comes with a problem, and that comes with a problem to fulfill the Montevideo Convention. For example, those boundaries, those those defined borders, yes, they are cleared, but they are established in an artificial way. Therefore. What we'll talk about now, and it's probably also what you're going in. One of the reasons for not accepting more states nowadays is this fear of endless fragmentation. Uh, that if you want, actually, could you explain us a little bit how what it consists in? Yeah, I think that idea really became popularized after like the breakup of Yugoslavia and the fall of the USSR. And it was like, oh my gosh, all these countries with like some different ethnic groups or different issues. They're all going to start breaking up into many, many other states. And slight worry about how viable some of these places are and some of these states will be. And so they wanted to put it into it and say like, okay, whatever your problems are, make it work with the borders you have, I think is kind of the idea. So with this, the problem that we have is that there's countries where the government, for example, which is one of the main criteria, doesn't really, can't, cannot really extend its power through its borders. Maybe they keep the power on the capital, as we were mentioning before, Somalia is a good example with Mogadishu, although even Mogadishu has its problems. I mean, but yeah, I mean, and then like, just going on more on decolonization, because I think that was a huge process whereby a massive amount of states were created in a very small um, time frame, but as you said, they were drawn up around colonial borders, which had nothing to do with the different ethnic groups that inhabited the land. So a really good example of that is the DRC, where the country is divided around the Congo Basin, in the, and it's a massive country. It's, and it's absolutely incontrollable. Like the people from the well, east of the DRC kind of... Exactly. And, and the capital is in Kinshasa on the west, right next to Angola, with... It's not that far from the coast, from the Atlantic Ocean. But then the other side is across this 
insurmountable jungle, and it's basically self-administered. There was breakaway regions. There was Catania in the 1960s, which was shut down basically by UN and uh, US troops from being a, a viable breakaway region. But it's because of these colonial borders that uh, you can't actually separate that into two countries, which would actually make much more logistical sense because then you could have a set a region administrated by somewhere in that region that actually has connection with that region and say for the east of drc it would make much more sense as a separate region to negotiate with rwanda with tanzania with kenya mm -hmm. with its actual neighbors on that side rather than sending everything that comes from there across the whole country across the uh, without proper means of transport without proper means of transportation to the ports on the Atlantic Ocean and doesn't and this is why it's super expensive, it's super dangerous to operate in the DRC. It's like I think these borders have given rise to huge areas of ungoverned spaces in the peripheries where the government, as you said, only controls the capital. So these these spaces basically become black spots for in, insurgency groups, terrorist groups, and this has all come about because of the recognition process for Africa. So I think this is part of the problem that they tried to avoid when they talk about fragmentation as well, although it would have been different in terms of ethnic homogeneity in, in Europe or something like that, as you say. But I think the problem though with like Africa is that I don't know, maybe you know, but like what would be a better system to divide these states? Also now knowing that they've been running under these like administrative units for years and years and years. And so there's also like some attachment there and things like this. If you just do it by ethnicity, I mean, there you would have hundreds, maybe even thousands. Of I, I, I don't disagree. States. I mean, how do you really like solve this problem now that we have it? Exactly. The problem was the start. So yeah. the cat's like out of the bag, so to speak. Like we are in a situation now where, as you say, these countries have been administered by the central region. There is sometimes opportunity for it to break away, but... That would be in the vast minority of cases, I would think. Uh, for instance, in Mali, although the capital doesn't control much of the, and in Bamako doesn't control much of the periphery regions, there's no alternative viable place to separate that into two countries. It's just a problem with the, the weak yeah. statehood yeah. and this border that was drawn in the Sahara Desert where... In the middle of the Sahara Desert, exactly. like the closest city, the closest city to the northern border of Mali is got to be like, 500 kilometers away, like Timbuktu is 500 kilometers away from the northern border. Of I mean, you should be, you but should come to Australia. Uh, but for example, with other states, and I would like to start mentioning a couple of them in that sense, there's examples of it, this uh, big distance, uh, political, ethnic, or physical uh, in itself from the capital, and they try to to reach this independent. And one of the one of the aspiring states that we learned about a lot throughout our masters um, is Bougainville. Bougainville is in the east of Bougainville. Uh, Bougainville. Bougainville. <laughs> Excuse my accent. <laughs> Bougainville. We had a fundraiser for them in year eight at high school. When I was at high school, we had a fundraiser for them, for Bougainville. But you were supporting Bougainville. No, I mean, this was for our high school. Ah, well, your high school was supporting... Uh, it was for, like, an uh, aid agency for Bougainville. <laughs> I, it's only that time I ever heard of Bougainville until our class in the master. I never heard, heard of Bougainville. Like, when I heard it for a time, I was like, this got to be in six days. So if no, you don't know what Bougainville is, do not do not feel bad. Because... Do not feel bad, but go and look for it. It's in the east of uh, Papua New Guinea. It's an island. And uh, basically, it's been seeking independence since the independence of Papua New Guinea. And in 2019, in 2000, there was a civil war until uh, 2011, if I'm not wrong. And uh, then in, 2009, in 2011, they agreed on a ceasefire or a peace deal. And they agreed that there was going to be a referendum uh, in 2019. The referendum took place. 98% of the population of actually... It's a really good example of wanting to be independent. 83% of participation, 97% of yes, we want to be independent. However, the Papua New Guinea government still not letting Bougainville being independent, particularly because they have, for example, a several, like they have one particular mine 
that uh, at one point it represented basically half of the exports of Papua New Guinea. So it's economically important for Papua New Guinea. And it's also got the economic area in the ocean surrounding mm-hmm. because of the way that the law of the sea works. A lot of the economic areas of Papua New Guinea is now would go to Bougainville, which yeah. has lots of oil and gas fields, I believe, off the like for offshore re, uh, oil rigs, mm-hmm. which they make royalties from, even if other countries administer the. So that is an example of a country that tried to seek for its independence, had a referendum of independence, but it's still not. There's funny. There's funny enough a few in the converse actually, where the UN wants a list of countries to become independent. They call it a UN list of non-self-governing territories. And it's a list of about 16 countries. It's mostly island countries. Mostly island countries with populations of in the tens of thousands. The highest population one by far is Western Sahara. Mm -hmm. And the, the preposition with these states is that they were previously colonies and are now still ruled by the colonial uh, Nalan and should be given the opportunity to become independent. And Western Sahara hasn't had the opportunity to have a referendum and there's debates over where that could actually happen now because of the demographic change by Morocco flooding people into the region. You can check our episode with the Western Sahara ambassador in South Africa. That was really, really interesting, really insightful. But then like, because you talk about Bougainville, then the opposite example is New Caledonia, which is another Pacific island off the coast of Australia and is actually administered by France. And at the moment, everyone that's born in New Caledonia has a French passport. That means they can travel to the EU, they can work in the EU, they get lots of money from France. And so the UN is asking them to become independent. And yet yeah. they have a referendum. It's like 98%. No, we don't want to become independent. <laughs> There's many. Actually, I think... If, if I'm if I'm not wrong, the countries that have these dependencies are the United States, Denmark, the UK, the Netherlands, France, France Norway, well Australia, Australia, New Zealand, and Chile. <laughs> and like in at least in the French and the British, like it's they a have to, it's a it's a like, it's a post colonial. Like they're for the French, they're considered departement d'ultramer, which are like departments of like the Far Sea, like Mayotte, like uh, yes, Mayotte or New Caledonia, obviously, or, like um, Reunion. Reunion. I was the name There's of this one in South in in the Indic Ocean. I can't remember right now. There's one in the Caribbean as well. In the Caribbean, yes. There's <laughs> in the Caribbean. There's a couple of them. <laughs> in uh, the UK, for example, has Gibraltar, which is in like. Surrounded so by Spanish territory, and but still, this some would argue population. the best part of Spain actually. <laughs> it's <laughs> best for us. okay. This this is this is what I must do. But funny enough, uh, there was a study made some years ago where there's at least, if I'm not wrong, there's at least two companies registered per person registered in Gibraltar, yeah. counting kids. Yeah. So basically, it looks it works like a like an offshore. Yeah, but, but yes, I mean, this, this, there's many of these territories that they really don't want to to become, to become independent. Because, because the benefits of yeah, part of a larger country. Economic, if you look like in these cases, independence would be overrated because if we take any Pacific island that is dependent territory, either on UK or France, like if they have a population of 10,000 people or less, like they are not self-sufficient the GDP will be 10 million dollars like yeah like less than Bezos makes it a day (laughs) it wouldn't be liable for them to be independent state so absolutely from that side we could say in some cases that independence is operated they they decline sovereignty they decline which is like interesting that we can see that UN is clearly pushing for them to be independent because UN doesn't want to have anything with colonialism but if you exactly. uh, to those people that actually live there, I think, it's, like I said, all of them would rather have uh, a French passport than a reunion passport. Like, exactly. Yeah. I can say for sure that the French islands and the Caribbean, they are bad. Like they are like the poorest regions in France, but they are better than their, than their neighbors. Okay. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, we're dropping a lot of names now. <laughs> quite, quite we, a lot of small yeah, Pacific islands. We hope that you guys uh, kept a little bit. You should uh, have map. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a good game, global. You can play online every it's day a, and yes. you see where the, you can get to know some small Pacific islands where they are. Yes, yes, yes. Or, uh, uh, or no, you said Wordle, no? Global. Ah, global. Okay, there's another one that is 
trade world 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 yeah world that it's uh it's also like you have like guess very country yeah 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 you have to say very country okay so I want to drop a couple names into this conversation to see a little bit of a comparison so we've already mentioned Kosovo Kosovo at its height of uh of uh, recognitions had. 101 recognitions out of 193 out of 193 yeah. and now it's at 92 right now it's at 92 90. something like that so uh, the important point is that even though i mean getting the recognition of 100 countries is a difficult thing because we're going to see the following ones <laughs> it's really yeah. difficult but still if you don't reach 130 countries basically mm-hmm. uh, you cannot get that general that uh, agreed independence and like Kosovo didn't get still like Kosovo didn't get it then we have a state that for example has a lot of uh, relations with big powers which is Taiwan uh, Taiwan functions as an independent state from from the yeah. People's Republic of China they export and their 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 internet is the Republic of China uh, they trade a, deals Exactly. Like, in direct exactly. competition with exactly. the People's Republic of China. Like they... It is a really, really specific case because in their constitution, like both the DRC and the Republic of China consider either... Yeah, they lay claim for territory, the mainland. They claim the, for, uh, for, for both. Maybe we do one day an episode on the Chinese uh, civil war and like we can explain this a little bit more. Uh, but for example, Taiwan is only recognized by twelve plus one states, being the plus one the Vatic- the Holy See, which is not a state, which yeah. is has that, like, that fulfill the 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 Montevideo the Montevideo Convention. If you can work out why, but that's can, a yeah. that's a that's a bonus trivia question. Okay, yes, that's a bonus trivia question. Leave in the comments your your guesses. Why is the Holy See not a state? As in Vatican City. No. Uh, yes. Yeah. No. The Vatican City is the territory. It's like Malta is not the same as the Order of Malta. Okay. The Order of Malta is the one that has an observatory status in the UN. And, and, the, and the Holy See is the one that has a, an observatory status in the UN. But the territory, I'm not going to say anything else. <laughs> but the Holy See is a state. It just doesn't fulfill the conditions. That is one condition they are lacking. Yeah. One, I would say maybe they one. lack permanent population. Ah, now we're saying it. Cut this bit out. But, they have, but it's still a state. Yes, but it's not a, yes. it doesn't have it, per- like population. So it's not but a, it is a state. It's not a permanent but member of the UN. It is con- it's a it's a member of it's the UN. It's not a permanent member. It's an observer observer. state. It's an same like same as say. same as Palestine. Same as Palestine, same as uh, the uh, royal the sovereign order of the sovereign order of these knights or I don't know. Of the, the knights of Malta. Yes. It is. They are the only non territorial state. Kind of, they have no territory. They have no territory. They tried a few times to take to back some buy people. something, <laughs> some <laughs> house and carry it. Yeah, but they didn't. It, they didn't manage to do it. A house. <laughs> so yeah, you have these so interesting we, things. Yes, that you can. I want to put uh, a couple of examples of uh, aspiring countries, uh, because I want us guys like to 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 talk a little bit about them. I'm going to put three examples. Uh, the first one is Somaliland, that we've already talked about it. The second one is Kurdistan. And the third one is Catalonia. Mm-hmm. What about Abkhazia? Mm-hmm. For a fourth. I chose these in particular because they are away from the, like, they're not away, but they are much farther from the influence of the great powers, which is something that mm-hmm. I think we will we will enter onto now. And like, what makes... A country more like really to be independent. Uh, these three in particular, they have no, uh, well, Catalonia, maybe the European Union, uh, but uh, I think we can all agree that Spain is not a regional power whatsoever. Uh, Kurdistan is in between few of the country. few of regional powers, but at the same time, it's spread among uh, among several countries. And uh, Somaliland is far from everything. So none of them have formal independence. Catalonia, the largest of them. But Catalonia still, hasn't even declared independence. I think the difference is... Exactly. 
of independence. 15 seconds. Yes. In 2017, uh, elections. It's, um, I'm not going to make a comment about 15 <laughs> seconds. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, there's these three different examples. And what make them three different is also their, their, their legitimation, yes, their legitimacy. internal legitimacy behind this. Catalonia, for example, arguably doesn't have, like the, the Spanish uh, state doesn't bully them, doesn't, doesn't, like, repress them yes. doesn't repress them and so on, arguably, although, well, there's been uh, particular examples. Uh, Somaliland is far from the center of power of its technical country, much closer to, for example, Ethiopia than it is to Mogadishu. And, um, Kurdistan. and Kurdistan is in between Turkey, where in Turkey has really bad connotation and in Turkey there's uh, considered to be terrorist groups uh, that are based, that are Kurdish, ethnic Kurdish. And there's Kurdish minorities all over the, like below the Caucasus. So we have them in Turkey, we have them in, in yeah. Iran, we have them in Syria, Iran. we have them in Iraq. And in Iraq, for example, they have the most autonomy, right? They have the most autonomy and they got the autonomy because one thing that you were mentioning, there's no repression. There was repression yeah. against the Kurdish. Uh, during Saddam. In, during Saddam, in Turkey, arguably too. Still, uh, still. Assad also didn't have a good relation with them. Iran is more like, leave them there. But also the Kurdish regions were the ones that started these uh, demonstrations lately in, the, in Iran. So I want you to give me a perspective on this sense. Like, what do you think about, like these three examples that they didn't get there, yeah, actually, but say, they have different. Uh, you said it really good. You, you give examples for three different layers of recognition, I would say. Like we mentioned earlier, Somaliland has all internal sovereignty, but like the many other African countries, unfortunately, doesn't get to the public eye. So kind of saying nobody cares about them. So that's why they're not uh, internationally recognized. Then <clears throat> Catalonia, it is because it's in Europe, in Spain, it has like big publicity, but they are lacking the prerequisite. Like I said, they are not repressed. I wouldn't say they are different ethnicity than Spanish. They don't have even tradition of statehood. So they are, in my opinion, lacking quite a lot of conditions for that. And then we have Kurdistan, which is in most complicated geopolitical region. So even if they are oppressed, it would be, it would be tectonic change needed for them to become a country that is too much work from too much side. So I think here yeah, that you gave quite good examples to see that there is different, uh, conditions and different situations why some countries should be or shouldn't be recognized as they still, still are not recognized. Yeah, I think Kurdistan is like my favorite unrecognized state. And one of the reasons is it ran an amazing PR campaign, like working side by side with the U.S. to fight terrorist organizations. And like, if you want to be recognized internationally and the U.S. is your friend, like that's a great pathway forward. And I think a lot of people have like a lot of sympathy for the Kurdish population and the oppression they've been under and everything, but the region just is way too complicated. And also like their neighbors have like some power and some weight to push behind for making sure they don't get recognized. So like, I think their pathway is very difficult. Any other state that would have helped the, any other unrecognized state that would have helped the U.S. so much, I think, would have had a much easier time, but their geography just really works against them. Actually, you mentioned, Ronan, before that the largest unrecognized state is uh, Western Sahara, as by population. But it's Western of the UN. Of the UN. Yeah. Okay, okay. <clears throat> because the largest unrecognized nation, the it largest and unrecognized nation, as in like for a state, is the... Uh, the Kurdish. We think they are the most populous ethnicity without their own nation. 25 million people. Yeah. Um... But I really, yeah, I mean, in Iraq, for example, the, since what you were mentioning that the, the Kurds run a really good PR campaign, I mean, Iraq doesn't exist if not because the Kurds were fighting ISIS in the north. That's a fact with American weaponry and everything, but it's a fact. Um, 
and they were expecting to get better. I mean, they actually got a certain degree of, of autonomy uh, within the region and so on. But even I, I read some some articles were saying that, okay, yes, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan can be independent. Uh, it's got the capacity to be independent and so on. But how will Iraqi Kurdistan work with the rest of the Kurdistan uh, people? Because in Turkey, they're persecuted. In uh, Iran, meme. And in Syria, prosecuted. So would these people go to Iraqi Kurdistan? And if so, would Iraq accept that all these people would come to Iraqi Kurdistan? Would the Iraqi Kurdistan accept all these people on the basis of ethnicity when, because of it being a large population, it's not just about ethnicity. There are, there's ideology, there's a feeling of belonging to a, to a land. Would that be a threat for the countries around? Like, I really, I find it super yeah, interesting. For sure. I think like, I mean, the thing is with, which is what happens with a lot of separatist groups is they get labeled as terrorist organizations and sometimes they commit terrorist acts. So like, I would be really surprised that Turkey would be okay with any level of Kurdish activity, Kurdish state near their borders because they view them as a terrorist group and they would view this country as harboring terrorists if anyone went there and it would be like a place that some groups could go and plan activities to happen outside the borders. So it would be like really difficult. Okay, then let's go into one of my favorite questions of today. What do you think actually makes a country independent? What do you think is the decisive factor that ends up making a country independent? Nowadays. It depends what you want in an independent country. If you want to be recognized, then the decisive factor is getting to the UN Council, which is being able to sit at the table with your peers, which means getting two-thirds, which means looking towards partners such as the US or China or Russia or like influential players to be on your side to recognize you. But if it's just what you want is autonomy, then... Basically, I would say that you need to just have control over your internal internal placement within, if, even if it's within a parent com uh, country. So, I mean, we've talked about Somaliland a lot, so let's talk about now um, Transnistria, for instance. It's like, it's a region in northeast Moldova, and it's very separatist. It's, it's a declared independence. It was recognized only by Russia and it's completely self-governing. And Transnistria is kind of interesting because it's got a good relationship with Moldova still. They, they govern kind of together, even though one's a breakaway region. Usually, if it's always a breakaway region, they kind of get into a conflict. That's how you have civil wars often. <laughs> but uh, even in the context that we have right now, they still like... Exactly. So, I mean, then for the people in Transnistria, if they feel like they're independent enough they still operate within Moldova's outwards perspective, but they're externally supported by Russia. They get uh, favorable trade deals. They get favorable energy deals from Russia. Maybe not anymore, but previously, well, probably still now, actually, because Russia's trying to, still, yeah, Russia's yeah. trying to avoid Moldova becoming a completely Western ally mm. by keeping its hold on Transnistria. So then what's actually important then is just being able to control your internal population within a specific boundary, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't I know, it's kind of a, a... doesn't really say exactly what an answer to your question, but I think... I think, like, uh, the example you mentioned earlier of Abkhazia, even if it gained independence from Georgia, it's so heavily influenced by Russia that its independence wouldn't mean anything. Like, it would become basically, like... <clears throat> To another master, like it will probably literally in Russia if it yeah it, yeah it a state of Russia yeah state or something. and so like I don't really view that as like independence yes yeah. um you're a, you're a dependent state basically then anyway yeah, because yeah. you're you're Which, completely dependent on another state to supply for your survival. Yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I think there are states in the system today that, like, operate like that, yeah, and it's fine. But if that's, like, truly independence... And I think also those 
it's like looked poorly on if you have a very powerful country that basically operates how you look at the world. Is the patron state of yeah. the... So one, what do you think? Is there any conditions which are more important than others for recognition? I think the most important part is having a great power behind you, uh, either regionally or or like global great power. Because in the end, if you see uh, why uh, are some countries not recognized, it's like I could, for example, why in Bougainville recognized? Because the regional powers, they are not in favor of that uh, independence. Why, on the other hand, is uh, Kosovo uh, recognized? Because the European Union, more or less... But rec- yeah, but they it's not fully recognized. Not fully it's, yeah. But it's, but like fully, still, that is, still, but it's like still certain important powers recognize you. Like, yes, for Afasia, it is inter- for Afasia, it is more or less enough for Russia to recognize them because within the sphere of, within their... Within Georgia. Their, right, within Georgia, the one that needs to recognize Abkhazia as being independent is Russia, Syria. But my rebuttal to that, which I guess this is its own complete situation altogether, which is obviously Taiwan, because Taiwan is a very close US ally. US has uh, very close def- strategic defense ties with Taiwan. It's, it sells a huge amount of weapons to Taiwan. And yet, U.S. doesn't recognize. But Taiwan. and again, parent state is much more powerful in case of Taiwan. It's China. Like in Abkhazia, it's Georgia. It's an exa- and is, and, and there is level. Would even add that the reason why Taiwan can have its still its independence nowadays and its capital autonomy and everything, it's because it's got the United States backing them. If they didn't have the United States backing them, Taiwan would have been of course by the PRC. Of I course. would say also because their island is the most advantage that they have. If they are like connected by the land bridge to the China, be so much easier to conduct well, offensive operations. Yeah, it, it's less of a grounds for even independence almost. Like I think yeah. just being separated, separate, separate, physically, yeah. physically separated is not get, grounds but for independence. Then again, I don't know, I think it's kind of difficult to get recognition these days because even Kosovo, I would say, it's a dangerous precedent because at that time Yugoslavia was internationally recognized state. Mm-hmm. And when you unilaterally proclaim, I think it gave ground that uh, West and uh, US and EU support Kosovo. It gave more ground legit- and legitimacy for Russia to make new states of their own as Abkhazia, as Donetsk People's Republic and Lugansk. Although those ones are kind of farcical in there. In their levels of absurdity, just like you take over a piece of land because I think it's been widely accepted that uh, taking land by conquest is not an acceptable form of change in the international boundary. But then again, Kosovo kind of you can look at it because there was uh, NATO intervention, Albania sent forces. So but it was they, different, I think. It's like kind of disintegration of a union, whereas this is. Yeah, but but yeah, I get I get where yeah, you're yeah. coming from. Yeah, I, I understand it. It's Cause I mean, kind of civil war. Yes, yeah, exactly. So, but still, I would say that there are same same uh, same principle. You have outside country that is helping to take piece of land from already internationally recognized country. Like I said, it just I think, in my opinion, it's a really dangerous precedent in the world that none of great powers want to. Uh, participate. Like, that's why I say also, like Taiwan, even that we could agree, I think is the most state of all unrecognized state that has most power and all. And still, even they can't, even with all wholly heartedly support from US, being the, they being, can't fight being the main exporter of uh, semiconductors and microchips in the world. And, and that's why I say, like, in my opinion, recognition always depends on the context. There's And there's very few states which fulfill all the criteria now. Actually, to be recognized. This whole this century, we've only had two, right? Yeah. Montenegro and then South again, Sudan. which was like and Montenegro. It's a specific part of uh, the solution. Of it. Exactly. Because even if it came in peaceful terms, it was the, exactly Montenegro. Because was, Montenegro, at least, was it was it 2006? had kind of 2006, but it had kind of at least some independence uh, internally. Because even in big Yugoslavia, it was like federal republic, right? Yeah. So there was yeah. some like. Uh, legal regional areas. autonomy almost beforehand. No, they were like we, there was maybe even presence of like it was kind of federation of states already. So there was at least some infrastructure behind it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, 
Very exactly, yeah, I agree. Like it's kind it's of very quiet and nuanced. Yeah. Do you want to add something on this, Alex? Mm. If not, we can go to the next question. Let's go to the next question. Okay. Then uh, we've already talked about many things in this matter. And I would like to ask the last question. Then uh, we're talking, and you guys uh, put it really nicely, that it's really difficult to get independent. Yeah. Uh, it's a fact. Uh, how the world is designed today, how it works, do you think it is better to seek for political independence or to seek for autonomy in uh, within a state? I want to start. I think it depends. I think it depends. <laughs> but I think it depends basically on violence. I think it depends on whether if your parent state is actually applying violence and suppression on you. For example, I totally understand that Western Sahara, uh, well, actually, Western Sahara uh, comes from being an independent country to being absorbed by, by Morocco. Uh, but I understand that they would that they will never look for an autonomy because what they're like they consider themselves an independent country from before. Um, but other examples that we can have and in Europe there's many examples of of, uh, of places that they are independent, but in the end they get it, they end up getting more autonomy. For example, Scotland is a great example. Would it be better for Scotland to be independent or would it be better for Scotland to be uh, extremely autonomous within the UK? So I'm dropping this question. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it. So I just want, I'll start quickly just to say like Scotland goes more to my example before that it really depends on the context. So I think Scotland, they would definitely benefit from full um, recognition and independence because 65% of Scots want to rejoin the EU. I mean, now the latest polls show that 60% of you British want to also <laughs> But that's... The, the, no, no, it's fine. Maybe, no, no, maybe England should yeah. be independent from England. Exactly. <laughs> that's the, the point. Yeah, yeah. But Scotland could then inter, in, go into those negotiations and look to join the EU as an independent country. As far as the UK cannot, they already are very independent in terms of self-governing within Scotland, they control most of the policy from Holly House, Holly Rood, Holly Rood, yeah. uh, and so in that in, in that in, te, in that instance, it would definitely be more beneficial to be independent. Whereas other countries, I think it's much more beneficial to just be autonomous. An autonomous region makes much more sense in places where there's less. There's less external pressure. They're not trying to in, uh, go into negotiations with other parties, but they're just like already controlling strictly the boundaries within their country. So Transnistria, again, would make an, a good example for that. That's my opinion. I don't know. Yeah, I think like taking a very progressive view too, like as there are more and more political scientists studying the world, not just as like a makeup of states, but also as like organizations, I mean, like for like Jeff Bezos is not a state, but he wields power and in an incredible level of autonomy because of all the money he has. Like you can have a lot without having these certain things. Like, so I think also the EU is not a state, but because of the way it's been able to collect states, it also has power and things like this that is kind of like manifested from nowhere. So I think like there can be something more than just like needing statehood. I think autonomy is maybe more important because it allows you to maneuver more. Yeah, and like I said, this question also could be formulated, like we said earlier, do you prefer internal sovereignty or external? Although I said like external is better. In this case, I would go and say autonomy is better for one simple reason, like we mentioned before, to get recognition today is quite difficult. And I think states or regions should take what's there available to them. So if they can get autonomy, I think it's maybe more than enough for many causes. And I also want to say, I don't see currently any big separatist movement that could actually succeed other than a few of those that we mentioned. So well, that was my, that was going to have a question. Just like, do you, does anyone think that there could be another country? I don't think like it's a city. You have got 193. Could it ever? get to even 194, let alone 200. I don't think like so. For me, like the most like cause that could have could be 
if we don't count Palestine, I would say Kurdistan, but because of their geography and geopolitical situation, I don't think we will ever Kosovo see. Kosovo, like I said, I, I don't think it will be. Like a gridlock, I guess. Taiwan, because of China, unless they fight, literally, like physically fight for independence, they will not get it. Kosovo, like I said, in my opinion, it will not stay long like it is. Either it will be returned under Serbia or it will become part of Albania. So because of that, I don't think they will get the, the recognition. And other states, Western Sahara, maybe, Bougainville, maybe, but they are still, I would say, kind of small and not so significant as Taiwan, for example, or even Kurdistan. Yeah. Well, um, I think I have a couple more things to say, but I also think we've spoken for a really long time. Thank you very much for, for being here today. Thank you, Millers. I hope you had a good time. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Alex. Yes, thank you. And obviously, thank you, Ronan. I mean, thank you. This, thank you. This is your house too, so I don't yeah. know if I have to thank you or if I had to well, keep you out. <laughs> thank you, and thank you to everyone that's listening. And please get in contact with us on our socials. Follow for up to date info and and additional content, which is in the form of deep dives and weekly news roundups. So try and find us wherever you're looking at the geopolitical pickle, and we look forward to seeing you next time. And let us know if you think that any country should be independent. We would like to hear about it. <laughs> Thank you and hear each other next time. The Geopolitical Pickle is created by Ronan Wordsworth and Juan Francisco Muñoz, two geopolitical studies postgrads from Charles University in Prague, Czech Republic. Follow us on Instagram at The Geopolitical Pickle or Twitter at The Geopickle for more content and follow us on every podcast platform.